Uh, it's a souvenir. Fifty book. years of sports statistics. Hardly recreational reading material, Marty. Well, hey, Doc, and what's the harm in bringing back a little info on the future? Now, maybe we could place a couple bets. Marty, I did invent the time machine for financial gain. The intent here is to gain a clearer perception of humanity. Where we've been, where we're going, the pitfalls and the possibilities, the perils and the promise. Perhaps even an answer to that universal question. Why? Hey, Doc, I'm all for that. What's wrong with making a few bucks on the side? Well, good morning. Y'all ready for Back to the Future Part 2 today? All right, well, take out your Bibles. If you haven't already, turn to the book of Mark, chapter 13. We'll be picking it up in verse 14 through 23 today. It's on page 411 if you're using one of the Bibles provided. And uh, if you remember that movie, Back to the Future, in Back to the Future 2, and he found, he went to the future and he got a sports almanac and he brought it back so he could, you know, bet on games and things like that. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if we always knew the future? I mean, if we knew exactly what was going to happen, like if we knew for sure the Broncos are going to win tomorrow night like they did last week, would that be nice to, to have a book like that or to, to know, you know, maybe what the stocks are going to do next week and know which one to pick or, or what event's going to happen? Well, we don't know the future, but so, we know somebody who does, and that's God, Amen. I mean, he knows the future, and he has given us a book that tells us some really detailed information about the future. It's called the Bible, and that's what we're looking at in Mark chapter 13 as we continue this study, because what we're doing is we're going back about 2,000 years ago when Jesus said some specific things to his disciples about future events that we're seeing come true before our very eyes today, just like we saw last week. We're going to see some things today. Uh, I think Gary put it very well, buckle your seat belts today and I hope you guys are excited because we're building on last week if you didn't see last week's we kind of this is all part of our Mark series as we're going chapter by chapter verse by verse through the book of Mark we've been doing about a chapter a week but we're kind of slowing down as we get to chapter 13 because it's just too good there's too much stuff here to rush through in one week so just like Back to the Future had three movies we're doing three weeks of Back to the Future three weeks in chapter 13 but as I told you last week our third week next week is going to be better than the third movie, because that one was stinky, okay? If you, if you watch the trilogy, just watch one and two and forget three. But we've been following Jesus in Mark chapter 13, and, and all through the book of Mark, we've called this WDJD, What Did Jesus Do? Because Mark mainly writes down the things that Jesus did. It doesn't include a whole lot of his teaching like some of the other gospels, like Matthew and Luke. But when you get to chapter 13, it changes. It's pretty much what Jesus taught, that whole chapter is his teaching, and it's about future events, and this is a really juicy part of the book of Mark as we get into it, because it's about prophecy, it's about future events, and we love to know what's going to happen in the future. I mean, when is Jesus going to come back? Is there going to be an end of the world, and what's it going to look like, and you know, what, what days are we living in? You know, some people say, well, we're living in the last days. Are we really? And is there any evidence of that? And you know, God has a very specific purpose for prophecy in the Bible. There's, there's a reason why God uh, predicts things in the future, we call them prophecy, and then they come true. And, and I think the verse that nails God's purpose for prophecy is found in Isaiah chapter 48, verse 1 through 3. Listen to what it says, we'll put it on the screen. God says, I have declared the former things from the beginning. They went forth out of my mouth, and I caused them to hear it. Suddenly I did them. And they came to pass. In other words, God says, I, I predicted this would happen, 
And then it happened just the way I said it was going to happen in the future. Because, and now here's why God did that and why he put so much prophecy in the Bible. He says, because I knew that you were obstinate and your neck was an iron sinew. Hope that encourages you this morning. And your brow bronze. Even from the beginning, I declared it to you before it came to pass. I proclaimed it to you. You know what God's saying here about mankind? I know you're not easily convinced. You're skeptical. And so I put prophecy in the Bible to predict the future, and then it comes through so I could take away all of our excuses to believe and know there is a God and that he does know the future. And so, as I said last week, the Bible is an incredible book of prophecies, something where God would predict it 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, some things up to 1,000 years before they would happen, and then they happened. And you can see them in history take place, just like God said. And, and you know how many times the Bible has been wrong on its predictions of the future? Zero. Not one time. I've had skeptics sometimes say to me, well, you know, the Bible has contradictions and things that were supposed to happen that didn't happen. And you know what I always do? I go, you know, I've read this book many times cover to cover. I've never seen it be wrong one time. Could you show me one of those? Well, I don't know where they're at. I mean, it's never been wrong one time. And when you're thinking about future events and the prophecies of the Bible, there is one key prophecy that you see from beginning to the end of the Bible. It keeps coming up more than any other prophetic event. It's talked about more than anything else and has to do with the return of Jesus Christ as the Messiah when he comes back and he sets up a literal kingdom on this earth that is yet to happen. You know, the first time he didn't do that. He came to die for us. But the second time he comes, he's going to come as the king of kings and the lord of lords. He is going to physically set foot on the Mount of Olives. And he's going to set up a thousand year millennial kingdom in Jerusalem. That is yet to take place. And here's what I want you to understand, church, this morning. The Bible talks about that event more than any other event in the Bible. That's the key main prophecy that keeps coming up over and over. I, I want you to understand this morning that the return of Jesus Christ is not fringe teaching of the Bible. It is fundamental teaching. It is key to the Bible. We're going to see that even more next week, how much it talks about that. The return of Christ, the end of the world. You know the Bible talks about the return of Christ, his second coming, 800 times more than his first coming. You know, here in a few months, the world's going to go crazy because Christmas is going to happen. And we're going to celebrate that. And I think that's good, and I think we should. But do you know the Bible talks 800 times more about the second coming of Christ even than it does the first coming of Christ? 20% of the New Testament is about the second coming of Jesus Christ, the end of the world, that millennial kingdom. And I want to make sure that I've got everybody, and if you weren't here last week, please go to our website, watch last week's message, because each one builds on the next. But I want to say this again. When we talk about the second coming of Christ, I want to make sure we're very specific. When people say something about the second coming of Christ or the return of Christ, I always ask them, now are you talking about his literal second coming to the earth to establish his millennial kingdom, or are you talking about the rapture of the church? Because those are two separate, distinct events, as we learned last week. Amen, church? And so the next prophetic event on God's time calendar that we as the church are waiting for is when Jesus will return, but only in the clouds, and we will be caught up, that's that Latin word, raptio, rapture, to meet him in the air. Then we believe there'll be seven years of tribulation, we'll get into that in a moment, and then the literal second coming of Christ. So it's, it's very important that when we talk about the second coming of Christ, are we talking about the rapture, or are we talking about the second coming? When I say second coming of Christ, 
the return of Christ. I'm talking about the literal second coming, the millennial kingdom. If I'm talking about the rapture, I'll say the rapture. But, but the, the event the Bible talks about more than anything else is not the rapture, but it's the second coming of Christ. Old Testament and New Testament. Are you all with me? Say yes. It's important we get those, those two. The disciples were very interested in future events, especially the second coming of Christ, because they knew the Old Testament. And the Old Testament talked about the second coming of Christ even before he came the first time. And so they were asking about this. They were interested in this. And that's where we picked it up last week in Mark chapter 13 and verse 4. And that's what started this whole discussion about the future. In verse 4 it says, the disciples asked this question, tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? And what they were asking here, make no mistake about it. They were asking, when is the literal second coming of the Messiah? When are you going to bring your physical, literal kingdom? And what is the sign that that is about to happen? That's what brought on this whole teaching of Jesus about future events. And now Jesus uses the rest of chapter 13 to answer their question. And he begins to explain three time periods. He talks about what is going to happen around an event called the tribulation. He's going to talk about what happens before the tribulation. That's what we looked at last week. He's going to talk this week about what happens during the tribulation. And then next week we're going to look at what Jesus teaches, what happens right after the tribulation. And I think we put it up there. Here's this chart again. This is kind of give you a, a visual and a snapshot. Right now, all the way over here on the left, we're living what is called uh, by many the church age. The church age. We're waiting for the next event, which is the what? rapture of the church we believe the bible clearly teaches that once the church is taken up and we're removed there will begin a period of seven years of tribulation on this earth there will be a man come into power known as the antichrist we're going to talk about that today and at the end of that seven years of tribulation is going to be the literal physical second coming of christ to establish his millennial reign that's what we're looking at those three time periods, before the tribulation, during the tribulation today, and next week after the tribulation. Are you with me? So, last week we talked about before the tribulation. You have that in your notes. And, and Jesus said, leading up to the rapture of the church, before the tribulation begins, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines and trouble. But remember what Jesus said last week? He said, that is not the sign... There is a specific sign, and I left you all hanging last week, didn't I? And you're expecting me to tell you the sign today. But I'm sorry to say you're going to have to wait what? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> some of you are like, that's why I came today. <laughs> I had some people this week talk to me. They said, I can't come Sunday. I've got a prior commitment. You've got to tell me what is the sign. So today we're going to see the sign. I mean, when the world sees this event happen, you can count down to the day of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't know when that event is going to happen yet. But once it happens, you can count to the very day according to the Bible. It's very specific to the literal second coming of Christ. But remember, back up seven years, we're waiting right now for the rapture of the church. That could happen any day, any moment. It could happen today. It could happen at any time. I don't believe there's any prophetic events that have to be fulfilled for that to take place. But Jesus told the disciples, you can kind of know when you're getting close, not because you see a war or a a, a earthquake take place, an earthquake or, or, or trouble. But when you, remember how he described it? It's like labor pains. He says it's like labor pains. And what do we know about labor pains? When they get more frequent and intense, you know that the baby is about to arrive. 
And so it's not any single war or single earthquake or single trouble or single famine. But when you see an, an intensity of those, an, an increase in the frequency and intensity of those events coming together, it, we're getting closer and closer to something arriving. And it's not a baby, it's Jesus. And we, last week, I went through, took about 10 minutes and showed you some events that have increased in the last hundred years beyond what human history has ever seen before. And in the context of what we saw last week, have you all been watching the news this week? 20 countries around the world are saying, kill Christians, down with Christians. I mean, we're sending warships right off the coast of Libya right now. I mean, do you all see? I mean, that just gives me goosebumps to talk about. The very things we're studying right here that Jesus said 2,000 years ago, we're seeing the stage set before our very eyes even this week. But there is a sign, a specific sign. What is the sign that Jesus is about to come back? And when the world sees this, you can count down to the day. I mean, can we know for sure? Is the Bible specific? And the answer is yes. And it's going to happen during the tribulation. You have that in your notes. During the tribulation. During that seven years, after the rapture of the church, and we pick up our reading in verse 14, we left off last week. Here's the sign. Jesus says, so when you see the abomination of desolation, you might want to underline that in your Bible. When you see the abomination of desolation, this event take place, spoken by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not. Mark says, let the reader understand. How many of y'all have a red letter Bible? Jesus' words are in red. Okay, if you have a red letter Bible, so far everything in here has been in red that Jesus is saying. And then all of a sudden, Mark, you know, it's like he picked up a black pen. Of course, we know he didn't. But he is saying, let the reader understand. You know who he's talking to right there? He's not talking to the disciples Jesus is answering this question for. He's talking to us who are reading this 2,000 years later. And he's going... Pay attention to this sign. Pay attention to this event. Especially the Jews that will be living during this time, during the tribulation, who didn't accept Jesus as Messiah the first time, but will have their eyes opened in a big way the second time. He says, pay attention to this, this event called the abomination of desolation that Daniel talked about. Let those who are in Judea, that would be the Jews, flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go into the houses, nor enter to take anything out of his house and if you've ever been to israel if you've been to jerusalem they have flat roofs and people live up on the roofs a lot and they hang out up there it's a description of of how they live in in israel and it says in verse uh, 16 and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days and pray that your flight may not be in winter for in those days there will be tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of creation, which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, which he has shortened them to seven years, as we're going to see today, no flesh would be saved or make it out of this tribulation. But for the elect's sake, the elect here is the Jews and believers, people who come to Christ during the tribulation, whom he chose, he shortened the days. And we're going to see today specifically how he shortened them. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ. Now remember what they were asking. When will you come back? When will you set up your kingdom? How will we know if it's you or not? Because remember we talked about last week, there's going to be a lot of false Christ. And there have been a lot of them in the last 2,000 years. And he says, here's how you know. If anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ. Or look, he is there. 
Do not believe it. You know why Jesus is saying this? Because during the tribulation, there's going to be a man that comes into power known as the Antichrist, and he's going to deceive most of the world in believing that he is the Messiah. And they're going to follow him. And they're going to take the mark of the beast. And Jesus is saying, listen, Jews, listen, people who come, become believers during the tribulation, do not fall for that trap. There is a sign, and when you see it, you'll know exactly how many days it is till the true, real King of kings and Lord of lords and Messiah comes back. You see why he's being specific here. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed, pay attention, watch out. Jesus says, I have told you all these things beforehand. Why is he telling them these things? So they won't be fooled. They won't be deceived. They'll know when the true, real Messiah, Jesus, is going to return. So get it this way in your notes, church. The key sign that Jesus is about to physically return to the earth and establish his millennial kingdom is an event called, let's say it, church, the abomination of desolation. So there you go. We could close up today. There's the sign. There's the event. You know what that is, right? You understand that, right? Maybe a few of you. Let's be honest. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I, I think this is going to make this very practical this morning. How many of y'all right now, if you had to get up here and explain the abomination of desolation, you'd be able to, you would not be able to do that. Will you be honest? That's what I thought. So we've got to talk about this a little bit. But you know what? I believe... Before you leave here today, you're going to understand an event that a lot of people don't understand. That's why I'm taking time to explain it to you. Do, do you. I mean, if this is the sign, if this is the event to look for, don't you want to know what it is? Don't you want to understand it? Now, again, understand the context. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I don't believe we're going to be here for this event. But it's still important that we know what it is. It's still important that we understand it. Because there are indications we're getting close to this event. And if we feel like we're getting close to this event, just back up a little bit because we know, I believe we're going to be raptured out of here before this event takes place. So we need to understand. Well, so how do we understand this abomination of desolation? What the heck is that? How, how do we understand it? What did Jesus say? Who was it spoken by? Daniel the prophet. You remember Daniel? Daniel and Lions then? That Daniel? About 600 years before Jesus was born... In the Old Testament. So we're going back like 2,600 years ago. Back to learn about what we're seeing happen in our future now. Daniel received an incredible prophecy from God about this very thing that Jesus is talking about. That's why Jesus said to them, these were Jews, they knew the Old Testament. They knew what Daniel had said. When he said abomination of desolation, they're like, oh yeah, we know what that is. He's like, that's the sign. But we as New Testament Christians, we're like, uh, what is that? So we got to take a little detour for a moment today. So you might hold your place there, Mark. Go to the book of Daniel with me. Daniel chapter 9, where Daniel, it's on page 364 if you're using the Bible you picked up this morning. Daniel, let me give you the context. 2,600 years ago, he's praying about the second coming. He's praying about the end of the world. He's praying about when is the Messiah going to come and establish this kingdom that the Bible talks about. And as he's praying, God begins to answer his prayers and he gives him the future. And he gives him this prophecy and what to look for around this event called the abomination of desolation. Now, we don't have time to go into all the details of this incredible prophecy. We're going to hit the highlights. I'm going to kind of give you the Reader's Digest version. 
And let me give a little disclaimer here. This is going to be a little deeper than what we're used to doing on Sunday morning. But I believe in you guys. You can handle this. If you believe you can handle this, say yes. I'm going to bring the cookies down on the bottom shelf as low as I can. And you can get this. And, and, and listen, I've heard this taught many times. It took me several times to hear it before I got it. We did touch on this in the book of Revelation. So it's good for some of you. You're hearing it again. And I want to try to I've, I've put some specifics in your notes. But I believe you can understand this. And you can get this. And when you do, you're going to be pretty excited to know what times we're living in. And this prophecy, now understand, this prophecy is given to Daniel. It, it applies specifically to Israel, to Jerusalem to the Jewish temple and the Messiah's return. It's not talking about the church. One of the reasons I don't think it's talking about the church is because I don't believe we'll be here. Because we'll be raptured first before these things start to happen. So let's, let's, let's read this prophecy. Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse 24. Y'all with, are y'all there? Okay. I stalled as long as I could. Daniel 9, 24. Seventy weeks are determined. You might want to underline 70 weeks. That's how long this prophecy is 70 weeks are determined for your people that's the jews and your holy city that's jerusalem to finish the transgression to make an end of sins to make reconciliation for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy that's talking about the second coming of christ know therefore and understand now he's going to detail this prophecy. That, be, that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem that was destroyed by the Babylonians. He says, know that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, the second coming of Christ, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. 62 plus 7 is 69. Okay, 69. The street shall be built again in Jerusalem and the wall, even in troublesome times. Now watch this. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off or executed, but not for himself. He's dying for other people. And the people of the prince who is to come. And notice before it was the prince, capital P, that's Jesus. Notice this is prince, small p. This is the Antichrist. And the people of the prince who is to come, which we know those people to be the Romans, shall destroy the city of Jerusalem and the sanctuary. We know that happened in 70 AD. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war of desolations are determined. There's a little gap here. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for how long? One week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. Now watch this. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. Guess what that is? The abomination of desolation. Same event Jesus is talking about. Even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. There you go. Let's pray. <laughs> Couldn't be any simpler, right? All right, let me break it down for you. Get this in your notes. The first key to understanding this prophecy is in verse 24 when it says 70 weeks. It's the word weeks. The word weeks here in the Bible refers to a period of seven years. How many days are in a week? Seven. It's seven years. Just understand when you see the word week or weeks here, it's talking about years. It refers to a period of years each day representing a year. 
Some of your Bible translations may even say that this prophecy is 70 sets of seven or 70 sevens. So verse 24 says there's 70 weeks to this prophecy. Prophecy 70 times what, church? Seven. 70 times seven. Do your math in your head real quick. What is it? 490. Not 490 days. 490 what? Years. There's 490 years involved in this prophecy that Daniel received. 490 years. Everybody say 490 years. Now these 490 years of this prophecy about the second coming of Christ, the end of the world, Messiah, and all of these things, this 490 years is broken down by Daniel into three parts. I'm going to put this picture on the screen and show it to you, and then we're going to go back to it. It's 490 years long. 49 years it took, 7 times 7, to rebuild Jerusalem and the walls. History tells us it was right at 49 years. Then there was another 434 years until Messiah would come. He showed up on the scene, and what did Daniel say? He would be cut off. He would be killed. He would be executed. What happened to Jesus? He came on the scene, and he was killed, and he was crucified. And then there's a little gap. And we'll go over that in just a second. In verse 26, it says, till the end. So we have 400 and, uh, what is it, 83 years have been fulfilled of this prophecy, but there's still seven years left. There's still one week left. That is the tribulation period. Let me, let me break it down in your notes this way, okay? Let me give it to you this way. Verse 25 says the first part of this 490-year prophecy is seven weeks, 49 years. Look at it again in verse 25. Know therefore to understand that from the going forth to command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks. That's the first part. Seven times seven is 49 years. Jerusalem would be rebuilt. In 445 B.C., King Artaxerxes gave the command that the Jews could go back to Jerusalem, rebuild the walls, rebuild the temple, rebuild what had been destroyed by the Babylonians, and guess how long it took them? About 49 years. Then he says there's going to be another 62 weeks or 62 weeks of years, which would be 434 years. Verse 26, look what it says. It says there will be uh, seven weeks and then 62 weeks. Verse 26, and after 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off. So you go 434 years, and then somebody's supposed to show up on the scene who's the Messiah, but he's not going to establish his kingdom yet. He's going to be what? going to be cut off. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be killed. Check it out. History tells us that on April the 6th, 32 AD, Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem and they hailed him, Hosanna, in the highest as their Messiah. That happened 173,880 days after Jerusalem was built. That's 483 Jewish years. Some of y'all are going to try to do this math, and you're going to try to do it in our Gregorian calendar, but the Bible works on the Jewish calendar. Our calendar is 365.25, because you've got to leap year every four years. 365.25. But you know what the Jewish calendar is? 360 days, and it stays the same. You plug those 360 days into 173,880 days, and it takes you exactly to April the 6th, 32 A.D., that prophecy was fulfilled exactly like Daniel said. It was the triumphal entry of the Messiah. So 483 years of this prophecy have already happened. Jerusalem was rebuilt. The walls were rebuilt. Then we know that the prophecy says that they would be destroyed again. That happened in 70 AD. And then there would be you know, an, another 483 years. And then total in all of this prophecy. And then Messiah would come. And he did. 
So we can check off the first two. Now in verse 26, this is where people get confused. We'll say, okay, well, where's the last seven years? If it's a 490-year prophecy and 483 years have been fulfilled, how many years are left? My math tells me seven. Not seven days, not seven weeks, but seven years of this prophecy. There's a gap between verse 26 and verse 27. Look at the end of the verse. It says, they shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That happened in 70 AD by the Romans when they destroyed Jerusalem and its temple. Then the end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war of desolations are determined. So there's a gap from verse 26 till the end to verse 27 when it says, then there's going to be somebody show up on the scene, confirm a covenant with many for one week or a seven-year period. Is it starting to make sense for some of you? Where do we get that the tribulation is seven years? We get it from the book of Daniel. 483 years have been fulfilled. There's only seven left to to take place. That's what we're waiting for. And the gap in between is the church age that we're living in. Aren't you thankful for the gap? (laughs) If there wasn't a gap, we wouldn't be a part of this plan. Jews didn't fully understand it, but we do. Jesus came unto his own, his own received him not, so he turned to the Gentiles. And I'm glad he did. That's why we're saved. That's why we're part of this plan. It, 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 and if I could explain this prophecy like this, it's, it's, it's like, how many of y'all have a DVR? Greatest invention since the beginning of man. I mean, the DVR. Be able to pause that sucker, you know, t- you know record shows, skip all the commercials. <laughs> it's great. I can watch an entire football game in like 45 minutes now. It's awesome. You know, just every play, 30 seconds, bam, bam. But you know, sometimes you'll be watching your DVR, you'll be watching a show, and, and, and then something happens, you get a phone call, something take place, you put it on pause. You, you go answer the door, you go answer the phone, you deal with the kids, whatever you got to do, you know, beat them a couple times, you know, whatever it takes. <laughs> Time out, I don't know, whatever you do. And then you come back, you push play, and you pick up where you left off, and you continue the show. Y'all understand that's exactly what's been going on with Daniel's prophecy? The DVR played for 483 years. The Jews, Israel, God's people rejected their Messiah. He put them on pause. He's been focusing on the church for the last 2,000 years, but as soon as the church is out of here and we're raptured, guess what God's going to do? He's going to push play again, and the last seven years are going to play out of this prophecy. And that's what we're waiting for, for those last seven years. Here it is, verse 27. Here's the last seven years. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Notice the he here is not capitalized. So this is not talking about Jesus. The he here, someone's going to show up on the scene. He's going to make a covenant with God's people, Israel, for peace. Can you imagine, church, if someone showed up on the scene today and could get a peace treaty signed between Israel and the Arabs? They would be a hero and Messiah to the world. The scene and the stage is set, and it's going to happen. And the world is just waiting for that person who can bring a seven-year peace treaty. It's going to take place. Let me put that chart up there again. Let me show it to you again. Go back. So here it is. The 490 years. 49 years were fulfilled to rebuild Jerusalem. The next 434 years were fulfilled. And to the day on April 6th, Jesus showed up. They crucified him. God put Israel on pause. He's been focused on the church. At some point, any day now, we're going to be raptured out of here. He's going to push play again. And the last seven years of the tribulation period are going to take place. If you got that, say yes. See, you can get this stuff. You know, there's professors in Bible college say, you can't teach this stuff in church. People won't get it. The signing of the seven-year peace treaty with Israel will begin the last seven years of Daniel's prophecy. 
known as the tribulation period. But the apparent peace that the Antichrist is going to offer is going to be very short-lived. Because remember what Daniel said in Daniel 9, 27? But in the middle, look at it, he's going to get a peace treaty, a covenant for one week, seven years, but in the middle of the week or in the middle of the seven what? Years, he'll bring an end to the sacrifice and offering and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. In the middle of the week, in the middle after three and a half years of that seven year period, this peace treaty that was signed is going to be broken. The Antichrist will break this covenant with Israel. He'll take over their temple and he will set himself up as God. Trying to convince the world that he is God and he deserves to be worshipped. He will demand the world's worship. If you want more details on this, go later this afternoon and read Revelation chapter 13. Because it talks about this abomination of desolation. This desecration of the temple by the Antichrist. Don't go do it now, do it later. Listen to how Paul described the same event that Daniel talked about. The same event that Jesus talked about. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come. That day is talking about the second coming of Christ. Will not come unless the falling away comes first. The man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. We know him as the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. And watch this. So that he sits as God, where? In the temple of God, which would be the Jewish temple, showing himself that he is God. That right there that is going to happen, that Daniel said will happen, that Jesus said will happen, that Paul said will happen, will happen during the seven years of tribulation, in the middle of the seven years, after three and a half years, he will do this abomination of desolation. It's an idolatrous desecration of the Jewish temple. That's what it is. And it's going to happen. After three and a half years into the tribulation, I believe three and a half years after the rapture of the church, really you can, I believe, that you can start this prophetic clock as soon as the church is raptured. The seven years, I believe, will begin to tick. And here's the deal. Once the Antichrist performs the abomination of desolation in the temple, the second three and a half years will unfold. Jesus calls it the great tribulation. That is the sign. And, and, and remember, who's asking this question here? It's not Gentiles. It's Jews. It's Jewish disciples. This is going to be, become so important to the Jewish people living on this earth during this time to see this sign. So maybe you go, well, if we're going to be raptured and we're not going to be here, why should we really even care about this sign? And why should we even look for this sign? Unless we're seeing things being set on the stage that make way for these events to take place. Then that ought to get our attention, amen? So these prophecies about Israel, here's the deal. These prophecies about Israel, the Jewish people in the temple, they pose some challenges. Here's the challenges they they, they pose for us. As Daniel said, in 70 AD, the Romans came in and they destroyed the Jewish temple. In 70 AD, it was destroyed, it was burned to the ground. Right now, you go to Israel, there's a temple mount, but is there a temple on top of that mount that's Jewish? Nope. That dome there, that golden dome, that's not Jewish, that's Muslim. That's one of their holy sites. They took it over from the Jews. Yet, yet the Bible's telling us here that in the last days, there's got to be a temple for the Antichrist to go in and desecrate. We don't, we don't have a temple right now. Here's another problem we had for some 1,900 years after Jesus said this. In order for there to be a temple, there has to be the Jewish people 
and they have to be in Jerusalem and be a part of this prophecy. They were driven out of their homeland in 70 AD, scattered throughout the world. For some 1900 years, the Jewish people, listen, Israel did not have a land of their own. For some 1900 years. That is very significant. Because human history tells us that no ethnic group has been able to survive and retain their identity for more than five generations without their own homeland. 150 years. We went 1,900 years and the Jewish people were not a nation. They did not have a homeland. They were scattered throughout the world. Many Bible scholars, even as, as, as recent as about 60, 70 years ago, read these prophecies and they even thought maybe this isn't literal. Maybe this is just spiritually speaking. Because no way is the, are the Jews going to have a homeland again. No way are they going to be a nation again. It's, it hasn't happened in 1900 years. Nobody else has retained their identity, their identity. It just can't happen. Some of you sitting in this room remember what I'm about to describe. May the 14th, 1948. After some 1900 years, guess what happened? The Jewish people were given back their homeland. It was on the front page of the New York Times. They were awarded it again. Now, that, it's one thing to be given your land back, but here's what was amazing. They retained their identity as Jewish people even though they were scattered, and the Bible predicted that as well. And they began to be gathered back, and they'd become a nation again since May 14, 1948. Uh, and since that time, 7.5 million Jews have returned since 1948. That sets the stage for this prophecy to unfold because now they're a nation again and there are people again. If they weren't, how, how could this be fulfilled? Are you with me? Say yes. That, that event right there, y'all, was huge. And it's still huge to this day. Now, we have another problem. Just because there are people and they have a land, we need a temple, right? This prophecy to be fulfilled, there's got to be a temple because there's got to be an antichrist to be able to go into the temple of God and desecrate the temple and set himself up on a throne as God. But right now, today, there's not a temple. So how can this be fulfilled? But it doesn't mean they're not planning one. May 21st, 1967, in the Washington Post was this article. It said, it was actually a, a plea. It was an advertisement. To all persons of the Jewish faith all over the world, a project to rebuild the temple of God in Israel is now being started. With divine guidance and help, the temple will be completed. That's what the Jewish people are saying. In 1987, there was a group called the Temple Institute that was formed. They are very active today. You can go check out a lot of cool stuff about them. Templeinstitute.org. You know what they do? They're preparing the furniture for the temple. They're preparing the priests for the temple. They're preparing the garments for the temple. They claim to have the red heifer that fulfills prophecy. They got all the pieces. They're just waiting to have access to that temple mount once again. And talk about buckle your seatbelts. I'm going to show you a video that was produced this last year and was released this summer and has been playing on national TV in Israel as a public service announcement to the Jewish people that was just released this summer.
Does that give anybody besides me chills? That is how close we are to seeing these things fulfilled. I mean, do you see it? 1948, Israel became a nation again. Now plans are being made. All they need is access to rebuild the temple. A simple peace treaty being signed would allow that access to take place. And remember, church, we got to back up three and a half years, seven years for the rapture of the church. But here's the deal. You can set a clock to the countdown from the countdown of the abomination of desolation to Jesus' specific day he returns. What does Daniel say? It's three and a half years. I've, got, I've given you some references in your notes. Check them out later. Revelation chapter 11, verse 2. Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 13, 5. All talk about the fact that when the Antichrist desecrates the temple, the abomination of desolation, he will only have 32 months left. 1260 days. And then guess what event happens? We're going to see it next week. The second coming of Jesus Christ. You can count it down to the day. And Jesus tells his disciples and us, that is the sign of my return, the abomination of desolation. And if we feel like things are setting the stage for that to happen, we need to be ready. Amen? Amen. Let me close with some practical thoughts real quick. How should we be ready as Christians? How should we be ready for the return of Jesus? Number one, believing that Jesus' return and the rapture of the church is going to precede that is very soon. We need, it should have a purifying effect on our lives. It, 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 should, it should make us... Make sure that things are right in our lives with the Lord. That there's not something that we're doing we shouldn't be or there's something that we should be doing we're not doing. 1 John 3, 2 says it this way, but we know that when he is revealed, when Jesus comes back, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is and everyone who has this hope in him, what does he do? He purifies himself. He gets ready just as he is pure. Believing the return of Christ is near ought to have a very purifying effect on our lives, amen? You, you, you know, have you, have you ever like forgot you had an appointment? You know, maybe you made an appointment with someone and you show back up your office and they're sitting there and you forgot you had it and it's really embarrassing or your secretary calls you and says, uh, uh, yeah, somebody's here waiting to see you. Ah! And how, how embarrassing is it if Jesus returns and you're not ready for that? It, the return of Christ ought to bring a sense of urgency for us as Christians who know the truth and are ready for the, the rapture to take place. It should bring a sense of urgency to share our faith with those in our sphere of influence that are not ready. Amen. How many of y'all know somebody in your sphere of influence that does not know Christ? All of us do. A neighbor, a coworker, a friend, a family member. And, and if we really believe we're getting that closer to the return of Christ, we need to share our faith. We need to do simple things like invite them to friend day at our church. You know why? Because you guys know what's going to happen. You've been to one of our friend days. They're going to hear the gospel that day. They're going to come and they're going to enjoy it and they're going to have a good time, but they're also going to have an opportunity to accept Christ. We have people saved and accept Christ every year at our friend day and our Christmas events and our Easter events. And these are opportunities to share our faith. You were given one of these cards this morning. Listen, don't just put that in your pocket. Don't just slip it in your Bible. Don't just forget. Give this to someone this week because we believe Christ is coming soon and we have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Friend day is going to be a perfect opportunity to do that. And number three, we should not get too attached to our stuff. I've never been to a funeral, funeral yet where they were pulling a U-Haul behind the hearse. And when we're raptured, we don't, God doesn't say, okay, you got 10 minutes, grab what you want. Like I said, I, I'm pretty sure we're going to go naked. I don't know, but <laughs> we're just going to, we're there. You know, and I've said it before, it's okay to not have nice things. As long as those nice things don't have you. Because this world is not our home. We're just a passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. 
and, and don't, get it, don't, don't get so freaked out and attached to stuff. What is Jesus' last words he says here to us today in Mark in verse 23? He says this, take heed, pay attention, stay awake, be alert, be ready. Why is he saying that? Because he's coming very soon.